Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. During this time of limited travel, a lot of us are sticking close to home and missing the long-distance trails we love. Maybe your hiking boots, like mine, are looking pretty forlorn these days. If you, like me, love to walk, there are lots of virtual pilgrimages you can do right where you are. As for me, I've been walking up and down my staircase. While I do, I think about the folks I've met and the paths I've walked. I'd like to share some of those with you. This episode of Pilgrimage Stories, we're back in Norway on the St. Olaf Way. The St. Olaf Way in Norway is actually the St. Olaf Ways, plural. There were, and still are, many paths to the cathedral at Nidaros, which is the ancient name for Trondheim or Trondheim. And not all of those paths even begin in Norway. There were routes from Finland, from Sweden, up from Germany and through Denmark, and routes on the sea, which was by far the most common way to get to Nidaros in ancient times. These days, the most common route for the pilgrimage heads north, north overland from Oslo along the so-called Gudbrandsdalen route. A few years ago, that was the path I took with five other Canadians. Our group all had Scandinavian routes. Our last names were Lund, Anderson, Hedlund, Christensen, Jorgensen, or Jorgensen, and Barg. Our grandparents had immigrated from Scandinavia a century ago, but we were Canadians in a land largely foreign to us. So weird. This is very good. It shows oh, you in height meters. Oh, really? Okay, oh, wow. so this is what we're doing. So this is today. Yeah, this is today. Okay, so where are we now? We've done five. Yeah, we're here somewhere. Oh, so we're in there somewhere. Okay. Over the yeah. at the top. And then we See, go this here. is what we did yesterday Okay. Oh, compared to today. Yeah, so that you know what was much steeper. We set out on our 13-day walk after a late spring where the melting snows had washed out part of the train line we were taking to our starting point. The late melt had also filled the bogs and swelled the many mountain streams we had to cross. I did a lot of filming and recording that summer on the trail. Unfortunately, much of my audio and videotape was lost when my hard drive cracked. One of the interviews that did survive was the evening near the end of our two weeks of walking that I sat down with Dr. Alan Jorgensen, professor of ecclesiology and church history and the assistant dean of Martin Luther University College, Waterloo, Ontario. After a long day of trekking side by side, I cornered Alan. We sat overlooking the mountainous valley near Gumdal, Norway. As you'll hear, Alan is both an artist and a theologian. I started out by asking Alan about what he brings to walking pilgrimages from those different ways of seeing the world. I've noticed, and maybe it's something that you do more unconsciously or consciously, I'm not sure, but often when we walk by, we'll walk by a, um, a pile of logs or we'll walk by a, a, one of these wonderful turf-topped outbuildings mm -hmm. that has the, the, the grass on the roof or even the trees on the roof. And uh, unlike many of us, I, I'll often see you reach out and touch something on the way by. Do you know that you do that? 
didn't. Oh. Yeah, you'll often make physical okay. contact. Um, and uh, and I'm not sure that I, you know, I don't think everybody does that. Mm. And I just wanted to know if there was a reason why you do that. Well, I think I'm, uh, I, so, so a part of, of the way I make my way in the world is, is artistically, so uh, painting and drawing, um, uh, largely which I do for myself. I think it's, I just find it fulfilling. Um, but I think what, what it does is it develops a kind of a tactile sense that um, the materiality of things is intriguing to you, like you just have a simple curiosity. Um, so it's a, a kind of an invitation to, to touch the world. Like I think one of the things that I think is really fascinating for me, and I, I speak about it with my students, is the idea that um, one of the prejudices we inherit, um, I don't know if it's only Westerners, but certainly Westerners, probably others as well, is we imagine that there's a, this thing called the world and that there's this thing called the self. Um, that are too um, impermeable, where there's an impermeable uh, distance between the two. Um, and I invite others, I invite us to think about the fact that, um, you know, our bodies are constituted by iron and water and a, a host of chemicals that aren't, that aren't um, not found elsewhere. Or, I, you know, and really fascinating, there's a real fascinating insight by, um, in the book Tree by David Suzuki that talks about um, there's this chemical, um, the chemical that constitutes chlorophyll and the chemical that constitutes hemoglobin are parallel, except that one has chlor uh, uh, one has chlorine, where the other has iron. So I mean, it's it's the, we share so much with the natural world, um, and I think it's a it's important for us to come to grips with that. The the world that uh, the world that we live in isn't completely antithetical to the world that we are because we are world, right? Yeah. This is this is the important part. It's, we're not only world, but we also are world. Um, and so, you know, if you wanna you wanna live at peace with yourself, you have to live at peace with the world. Like, you can't you can't separate those two somehow. And walking. I mean, walking is a piece of that. Um, I mean, we're a particular way of being in the world. Um, our good friends, the trees, for instance, don't get to walk around, um, but their way of being in the world is to sway and to, and to do what they do. Um, our way of being in the world is to, to move. Um, not everybody can move, um, and the glory of movement is um, especially clear when we meet children when they first learn to walk um, and seeing them just sort of delight in movement. Um, the other side of the puzzle, or the other end of the equation, is um, senior citizens who lose their movement, and then all of a sudden they realize what a gift Mumo was. So I think for us, one of the gifts of pilgrimage is to just to delight in, in being able to move. We, we've talked earlier about, you know, is there one mo mode of movement that's more valid than another in pilgrimage, and, and uh, there's more to be said about that. But I think um, whatever the mode of movement for your pilgrimage is, I think it's uh, important to come, to come to grips with the gift of being able to move, because that's an incredible gift itself. We went down the hill. No, it's just said you could go to Husby to yeah. see this yeah. place, yeah, but would you have to go the other way? Yeah, yeah. We, well, we didn't know that. We found that no, out two kilometers later. One and a half kilometers We found yeah. that out the hard way yesterday. <laughs> the St. Olaf Way. Tell me a bit, little bit about uh, you did, what you knew before you came and what you've learned since coming. 
Well, I, I mean, I knew a bit about St. Olaf from history books, um, you know, a little bit about his uh, role um, in the introduction of Christianity to, to Scandinavia, um, probably seemed to be much greater than it was historically. In the ancient Heimskringla, the saga of kings that was composed in Old Norse in Iceland by Snorri Sturluson, we read the following about St. Olaf. When Olaf Haraldsson grew up, he was not tall, but middle-sized in height, although very sick and of good strength. He had light brown hair and a broad face, which was white and red. He had particularly fine, piercing eyes, so that one was afraid to look him in the face when he was angry. Olaf was very expert in all bodily exercises, understood well to handle his bow, and was distinguished particularly in throwing his spear by hand. He was a great swimmer and very handy, and very exact and knowing in all things of smith work, whether he himself or others had made the thing. He was distinct and acute in conversation. He was eager in his amusements and one who always liked to be the first, as it was suitable he should be from his birth and dignity. He was called Olav Dandija, Olav the Great. Olav Haraldsson was 12 years old when he for the first time went on board a ship of war. In the Middle Ages, the St. Olaf Way was one of the most popular pilgrimages in Northern Europe. It's changed purpose somewhat after being brought back into existence over the last couple of decades. Now, it's advertised not for religious reasons, but for its spectacular views, and is a great chance to answer our need for contact with mountains, rivers, and trees. If spirituality is mentioned at all on the St. Olaf websites and blog posts, it's almost never about the saint, who was really more of a warrior in any case when he was alive. These days, like any other contemporary long-distance trail, the St. Olaf Way is aimed not at shrines and purgatory, but at a present-day spirituality focused, for the most part, on individuals. The body of St. Olaf went missing after the Protestant Reformation. It's a bit ironic that the St. Olaf Way is now more about the pilgrim's aching, sweaty, tired body, on a pilgrimage that centuries ago lost the saintly body pilgrims used to voyage to see. For me, I think a kind of another interesting factor is, um, as we sort of traverse this line and go through it, um, that ancient history of Christianity um, is paralleled by two important factors. One is, um, so St. Olaf obviously from sort of the medieval age, um, the, the Reformation story that we also see here and there in some of the contemporary churches or some of the churches that we visit. Um, that's one, another piece of the puzzle. Um, but still another is uh, the pre-Christian era um, attention to um, nature in its own particular fashion and some of that. So, I mean, these are all part of the part of the puzzle that is Norway. That can you is can you give me an example of that pre-Christian uh, attention to nature? Oh, so I mean, another uh, or pre-Christian attention to, to life. I mean, a, a good example for me of that was the, the stave church we saw in, um, in Oslo where you, when you looked up towards the, um, um, the steeple of the church, there's a, the fore and the aft of a, of a Viking ship. Um, so obviously this, these uh, Norwegian, um, Danish, uh, Swedish uh, folk who lived on the sea um, life on the sea was a part and parcel of their experience, um, complete with all the, the riches and the perils that that entailed. 
so when they became Christians or moved slowly into Christianity, that that bit of life wasn't lost. Um, it was written into the architecture of their church. Um, and interestingly enough, even today I saw uh, a house we walked by, I don't know if you caught it, but um, on the gables of a couple of houses there was the fore and the aft of a, of a, of a Viking ship. So that's not gone, right? That's not gone in the mindset of the people. It's still here, um, that sense of uh, connection with the sea, um, living by the, you know, the skin of your teeth and uh, making your way in the world tenuously. Um, I mean, we have a particular vision of, of the Viking era that's probably uh, not true to the reality. I mean, I, this I bumped into earlier in some visits to Viking museums in Denmark a few years ago that you know, most, most Vikings were just simply folk trying to make their way in the world. They weren't out to turn the world upside down, although there was that too. death of St. Olaf took place like this. After the king's return from Russia and during his final battle at Sigjusta, he was set upon by Tullahun, who said, it is thus we hunt the bear. Tolstein Knotter's men struck at King Olaf's with his axe and the blow hit the king's left leg above the knee. The king staggered towards the stone, threw down his sword and prayed God to help him. Then Tullahun struck him with his spear and the stroke went in under his mail coat and into his belly. Then Kalb Aunason struck at him on the left side of the neck. These three wounds were King Olaf's death. And after the king's death, the greater part of the forces which had advanced with him fell with the king. Tullahun went to where King Olaf's body lay, took care of it, laid it straight out on the ground and spread a cloak over it. He told Sins that when he wiped the blood from the face, it was very beautiful, and there was red in the cheeks, as if he only slept, and even much clearer than when he was alive. The king's blood came on Tula's hand and ran up between his fingers to where he had been wounded, and the wound grew up so speedily that it did not require to be bound up. This circumstances was testified by Tulahun himself when King Ulos' holiness came to be generally known among the people and Tullahun was among the first of the king's powerful opponents who endeavored to spread abroad the king's sanctity. In the sand hill where King Olaf's body had lain on the ground, a beautiful spring of water came up and many ailments and infirmities were cured by its waters. There was first a chapel built and an altar consecrated where the king's body had lain, but now Christ's church stands upon the spot. Archbishop Aston Allenson had a high altar raised upon the spot where the king's grave had been when he erected the great temple which now stands there. The place over which the holy remains of King Olaf were carried up from the vessel is now called Olaf's Vey, Olaf's Road, and is now in the middle of the town. The bishop adorned King Olaf's holy remains and cut his nails and hair, for both grew as if he had still been alive. So says Sigvat Skald, I lie not when I say the king seemed as alive in everything, his nail, his yellow hair still growing, and round his ruddy cheeks still flowing, and when, to please the Russian queen, his yellow locks adorned were seen, or to the blind he cured he gave a tress their precious sight to save.
tell me about uh, the St. Olaf Way right now, what you've uh, learned about this new, well, new old. First, is it new or is it old? What is it? Um, it's probably both. Um, so calling it St. Olaf Way is a, is a claim to ancient uh, authority and ancient practice. Um, of course, it's new in some ways. You just have to chat with a few pilgrims along the way who talk about their reasons for doing this, which is probably decidedly different than it would have been, you know, some thousand years ago when people were going to the to Nidaros with the expectation that they would be closer to a saint who was closer to God and uh, their prayers would be answered or, you know, some need would be met. Or, um, that doesn't seem to be uh, quite as the focus of folk today for whom, um, you know, the importance of being out in nature is critical, um, for whom the importance of just getting away from work is, in, is important. Um, for folk who see this as a vacation, um, that's probably um, quite different than original pilgrims for whom um, the possibility of losing life and limb was real as they, they made the pilgrimage. So the pilgrimage was a wager for them, maybe. For us, it's uh, not quite that. Um, although, for some people, it becomes a bit of an internal wager. Um, we've met people who've had some important existential questions along the way, and so for them, um, the pilgrimage is a, a kind of a hanging in the balance on an existential level, if not on a physical level. So, it's the last day, what do you think? Um, it is raining. Is it a hard day today? Um, I'm not going to do this interview, Matthew. <laughs> it's not a very hard day, is it? Nope. <laughs> Those who resuscitated and posted the modern St. Olaf Way include government agencies, local Norwegian businesses, fans of long-distance walking, and the Norwegian churches, they don't always all have the same goals. For that reason, it's possible to see St. Olaf's Way as a, as a wilderness journey, as an extreme trail, as a devotional aid, as an ecumenical encounter, or as a therapeutic communion with self and nature. In her article, The Processes, Effects, and Therapeutics of Pilgrimage Walking the St. Olaf Way, Nana Natalia Jorgensen and her co-authors state the following. Both processes and effects of walking the St. Olaf Way relate to salutogenesis, healing, and health assets, irrespective of people's health prior to the journey, generated by the interaction between walking, nature, and socializing. The beneficial experiences are perceived as therapeutic, especially if the way has helped people to resolve specific issues, which are often the starting point for the journey. The therapeutic features Walking, nature, and community are also considered relevant to health. Why is authenticity or legitimacy, why, why are these words so important in pilgrimage, do you think? Well, um... I think at the best level, they're um, an attempt to guard the commercialization of spirituality. Um, so people are very nervous about about something like a pilgrimage being used to to sell 
Norway as a tourism site, for instance. I, I could imagine that would be one um, rejoinder to the question of, of, you know, is it legitimate to talk about this as St. Olaf's Way? Um, that's a fair question. However, having said that, I also think um, the commercialization of pilgrimage probably wouldn't be um, unique to the modern era. My guess is in the pre-modern era, there were innkeepers who were quite glad when the shrine was kicked into business, you know. Um, people were happy to sell beer in bed along the way and have a place for, um, to have folk who would stop at their place for, to, to make uh, whatever it was they were using for coinage in those days to, to pay their tax and to, you know, buy their bread and their beer or whatever. So I think commercialization of spirituality isn't a modern invention. Um, uh, nor is it necessarily an evil thing. I mean, it's not bad that that um, our current host, for instance, gets some of our um, some of our coin to to help pay his for his daughter's education or whatever he needs it for. I mean, I think that's that's a good thing, right? Why is yeah. that bad? Why why is it why would that be bad? That's not a bad thing. I mean, if people exploit it, um, claim to sell something that's not there to be sold, then I think then that's problematic. But I mean, I think that. The business piece of the pilgrimage isn't doesn't make it less spiritual; it makes it real. I mean, and, and things that things that are really spiritual are also um, not anti-worldly, but properly worldly. Um, there's room for business in this, and I th I don't think that's uh, that's I think it's an important part. I think one of the for me one of the questions of authenticity is um, if people imagine. Um, something like a pilgrimage to be a thoroughly spiritual venture that has no no tarring of um, worldly stuff that's inauthentic because real spirituality is thoroughly worldly because god made the world and the world is good it's not something to be i mean there are, there are obviously there's evil there's problems in the world but um, fundamentally, the message of creation in the Christian narrative and in other narratives as well, other religious narratives, is the world is a gift. So let's let's enjoy it. Let's um, see what we can, how we can um, engage it in, in self-exploration and in serving others. So the state of our boots and the state of the dirt that we're walking on or the mud is, is part of that spirituality. Yeah, surely. Yeah, it's very important. And it doesn't hurt to bend over and touch the mud once in a while, right? Yeah, or, fall, or fall in it. Right, or fall in it, yeah. Get your fingers dirty and uh, just to look at what it is that, that's here. I mean, Norway is one of God's uh, glorious gifts to the, to the world. So, um, I mean, Luther had some important critiques of pilgrimage when people saw pilgrimage as a way to make themselves right before God. And his message of justification is we're made right with God by Christ. Um, and we don't need to worry about that. That's, I mean, that's simply um, a wonderful message for, in my estimation. Um, but I think there's a way of, of doing pilgrimage that um, sees pilgrimage itself as a gift, right? Like this isn't something I'm doing to earn anything, but instead I see it as an incredible gift to be here, um, to be able to traverse this wood, these woods, to walk through this, this glorious, uh, through these glorious dales. Like this, every day I wake up and I'm just, this is astounding. What a, what a wonderful thing to be doing. Um, what a gift from God. Um, what a reason to give thanks to God. Um, it's just gift upon gift, grace upon grace. It's a, it's a marvelous thing. Um, 
I think it's a sad thing if people imagine that um, this is a chore I need to do in order to make myself right with God. Hopefully that's not the message people are um, imbibing as they journey upon a pilgrimage. And did they have to call it the St. Olaf Way or do you think it really is still the St. Olaf Way? I think it's a, I think it's a good thing they called it the St. Olaf Way. Um, First of all, St. Olaf remains an important figure for uh, the Scandinavian Christians and um, for all his good and ill, um, he represents a particular part of the history of Scandinavia. Um, so I think that piece of the puzzle gives it some historic continuity. Again, I mean, if we're going to think about living in the world, part of living in the world is living with the history that we've inherited in St. Olaf and all of that is a part of that history for Norway and so of course they sh I think it's quite proper that they they can they keep it that name. Um, I like that they call it a way too because um, a way is uh, invites us to imagine um, the breadth and um, gift of, of journeying through life. Um, a way is a good way to get at um, what it is we do. We're on our way um, continually and, and arriving at Nidaros or Trondheim is not the end of the way, but perhaps the beginning of a new way of being in the world or a new way to carry on what we do um, with perhaps a new vision or new nuance. My name is uh, Odd Inge Tangen. Uh, I'm working as a minister here at Nidaros Cathedral this summer in the cathedral where pilgrims and visitors from, from Trondheim uh, come to to have the service together. And I'm going to read the, the prayer that we start every service with, uh, first in Norwegian and then in English. Gud, her ved ditt alter, vårt hvileste, setter vi fra oss vandringsstaven. Vi takker for alle hjelpende hender, for alt skapende fellesskap vi er en del av. Bevar oss mot et liv som står stille, Gi oss vilje til opprydd fra vår selvopptatthet. Gi evne til å finne de veier som fører til rettferdighet og mer livshåp for alle. Gi støtte til vår lengsel etter å gå nye veier som viser at det er et mål og en mening med våre liv. Lord, here at your altar, our resting place, we put down our pilgrim staff. We thank you for all helping hands, for the creative fellowship that we are part of, Preserve us from a life that stands still. Make us willing to depart from our egoism. Show us the paths that lead to righteousness and hope for all people. Strengthen our longing to explore new roads where we can find meaning and a goal for our, for our lives. This is the prayer that we start every service with in the cathedral where we welcome pilgrims and visitors. Matthew? Yeah. What are your thoughts on the last day, day 13 of the walk? Well, um, it's a little sad to be finishing. Yeah, it is. I think because you get used to you get used to getting up in the morning and walking all day long and doing nothing. You have nothing else to do but walk, really, and then get yourself ready for the next day. Exactly. Of walking, and that's mm -hmm. there's something nice about that simplicity. It's a nice rhythm. Yeah. Um, and do you want to say anything, or can you say anything about the group? Uh, do you want to say anything? Oh, sure. What a what a glorious group of people to be with. It's just been so much fun. We get along well. Everybody helps each other out. Um, we laugh a lot. Um, we cry together. We rejoice together. We eat together. Um, we keep each other awake snoring and so forth through the nights. But um, 
it's been really a lot of fun, a nice group, and for that I'm grateful. If you'd like more info on the St. Olaf Ways, you can start with their very complete, colorful, and helpful website at www.pilgrimsladen.no. I'll spell that P-I-L-E-G-R-I-M-S-L-E-D-E-N, www.pilgrimsladen.no. There's lots of information in English, and one of the many great things about the St. Olaf Way is its GPS app that helps you keep yourself situated, at least when there's mobile coverage. For more of the thoughts and the poetry and the painting of Dr. Alan Jorgensen, whom you heard today, check out his blog at stillvoicing.wordpress.com. Again, that's stillvoicing, all one word, .wordpress.com. Norway is a fabulously beautiful, if expensive, country, and there are few places to walk more beautiful than over the Dovre Mountains. There are some great introductory news articles to the St. Olaf Way, including one at The Guardian titled, Nordic Walking, a Pilgrim's Route. For more academic articles, including the history of the St. Olaf Way and its effects on the health of walkers, see Nana Natalia Jorgensen's article previously quoted in the International Journal for Religious Tourism and Pilgrimage, which is an open access journal you can find online. The International Journal for Religious Tourism and Pilgrimage. I have an article in that same journal as well, also about St. Olaf and about our pilgrimage. I hope you get a chance to walk some part of the St. Olaf Way one of these summers. Take my word for it, you will not regret the experience. I'm Matthew Anderson, the Staircase Pilgrim, and I look forward to seeing you next episode of Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. Thanks to James Anderson for his harmonica masterwork and to Gabe Morehouse Anderson for helping me out on guitar. Some of the music clip that you heard was Finnish Kantala by Marti Pokkala. My thanks also to also to Sarah Parks and to the members of our pilgrimage, Catherine Scott, Christine Lund, Elsa Barg, and Alan and Gwen Ann Jorgensen. I think I'll let another member of our group, Christine, take us out with this bit of surviving tape from the final day of our arrival in Nidaros years ago. See you next episode. I'm going to ask you a question while we're walking. Okay. So, today's last day? Yep. How many kilometers left? Do you have any idea? I don't, but I suspect it's somewhere around five or four and a half. Four and a half or five kilometers? Something like that. And uh, how many days ago 13. did we leave? This is day 13. And our numbers are, we're down one. We're down one, yep. Um, for walking. For walking, that's it. And uh, what are your plans for Nidaros? What are my plans in Nidaros? Yeah. Well, I want to go to the cathedral. And I want to see what Nidaros swag there is. Yeah. St. Olaf's Way. So maybe take something home as a reminder of the excursion that can help me integrate it into everyday life in an ongoing way. Yeah. Certainly take it internally. Yeah. But an external icon might be a good reminder. You know, pilgrims always did that, or mm -hmm. tried to. Yeah. They would bring back something. Exactly. I mean, I have picked up the odd rock, so I already have that.
I was thinking I might pull out my painting. This is such a beautiful... Uh, I think I will. See if I can get yeah, my yeah. paints and just sit. Are you doing? Are you doing? No, enough? no, I'm all done.